it's time to stop thinking like a traditional marketer and start thinking like a marketer of today. Welcome closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season two on sales. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actual insights to help you grow your property management empire. So whether you manage a hundred or a thousand units, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I am talking with Pat Hyben, the man, the myth, the legend, a true real estate rock star. He's held the title of number one agent in the world at both Remax and Keller Williams. He's currently host of the real estate Rockstar's podcast. He runs the Rebus Training Academy, Rebus University rather. And in our chat today, we're going to cover the role of personal branding and media and how Pat has used that to really propel where he is at today and to build a media empire and have to have a pretty big footprint within the real estate space. So if you are thinking about diving into media, if the thought has crossed your mind, if you're attracted to that strategy, but unsure what the return is going to be, this is the episode for you. If you enjoy the show, head over to iTunes to leave us an honest review. The more reviews equals better guests to help you grow your property management empire. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Pat. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, it's going to be fun. I am stoked. So let's start here. Let's go, Ryan, go all the way back. How'd you get into real estate? Hmm. Everybody thinks that it was by design, um, just like somebody would be a lawyer or a doctor or something. It was completely not by design. My life was not by design at, at an early age. It wasn't until I was in real estate that I started trying to design my life. But at that point in time, I, I went to college and I got a degree in sociology uh, simply because it was the only major that I could get out on time with. I didn't pick a major because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then they told me that I had to pick a major if I wanted to graduate on time. So I picked the major with the least amount of credits. And so uh, I graduated sociology. I was going to, you know, maybe do something at probation and parole. It didn't work out. I tried to get a sales job. No one would hire me. I had a, a really low GPA in college and you know, somehow I got the idea that I was going to go into real estate and I just went and got my license and became an agent and just kind of happened like that was more like the universe just just put me in that place. And what was the inflection point from when that went to being a banal, disinteresting existence like your average agent to actually turning into an exciting career for you? I think my biggest shift came about year three, you know, when I went from being an agent who wasn't focused on, you know, buyers and sellers. I, I was mainly focused on buyers because they were easy to get. And in and, and year three, I became focused on getting listings. And that really changed my business model and how I did things. Got it. So for a lot of folks, transitioning from buyers to sellers is when the magic starts to happen. Over time, if we just fast forward to today, 
your situation has changed pretty dramatically. Like I said in the intro, you have a significant footprint within the real estate space. Your name is known pretty broadly and in large part, that's because of the media empire that you have built. How do you think about the usage of personal branding and media and the stage and the context in which it is appropriate for small businesses, whether they be a property management shop or a real estate shop, and pretty similar across small businesses in general. You've made such a significant investment over time to build what you have now, but what's the stage and, and context in which that really makes sense? I mean, that's a great question, and I'd love to talk about that and, and how things have changed Somewhat, you know, there's a couple of things going on, and, and maybe this is just how I'm seeing it now because I'm kind of in a different world. And in 2010, I sold my team business to one of my top agents who still runs it today, and I still get profit off of the top of that. But I really haven't been involved in it for seven years, and about, and I became an investor, right, and, and invested in single family homes and multifamily and a shopping center and things like that. And then about three years ago, I decided to to go into the world of digital marketing, essentially, with my podcast, Real Estate Rockstars, and with Rebush University, where we train other real estate agents. And so what happened is I started seeing marketing a, a lot differently, to answer your question. I mean, the marketing that I see nowadays, and I think it's still true for real estate agents as well, is it's, it's much harder, if not impossible, to just kind of brand the old-fashioned way where the real estate agent would put a big ad in the paper with their high school graduation picture on there and uh, say, you know, these are the houses that I got or things like billboards and television ads. Not that it can't be done. It still can be, but I think it's it's becoming more and more difficult. You're seeing a lot more branding, so to speak, in daily snippets on all the social media channels. You got to look at social media channels as like additional television channels that are added to the plethora of television channels that people see between eight and 10 at night. But these are being watched by people all day long. So if you look at people like Gary Vanderchuk and some of these social media stars, Grant Cardone, that sort of thing, right? They're putting out little pieces here and there all day long on all formats. That is having a much better impact, I think, than if they were to just – I mean, imagine if Gary Vanderchuk went straight to television right? <laughs> or Grant Cardone went straight to television. They would have never built the businesses that, the businesses that they had. So I think we have to stop thinking. It's time to stop thinking like a traditional marketer and start thinking like a marketer of today. And that's, that's the big shift that I've had. Uh, even recently in, in, in the things that I've changed in my business and how I go about uh, selling our university courses and, and getting listeners to the podcast. So that's a really interesting stream of thought, approaching the overall activity, either from the perspective of customer acquisition cost over here, which is absolutely going to be the focus if you're doing billboards, radio, et cetera. Ultimately, it's going to come down to customer acquisition cost and lifetime values. But on the other extreme social media, the Gary Vaynerchuk method. I mean, that sounds so odd, even when you say that. What if Gary Vaynerchuk was running billboards? It's just like conceptually, there's like a real disconnect because what Gary is about is actually having the relationship over time that eventually it may or may not lead to a conversion. But tracking analytics is not the thing that you hear him talking about. You're doing the podcast and you're doing all this media stuff now 
So you said you've been out of the day-to-day agent activities for, for seven years. Is that correct? Correct. So that really was not a factor for you at the time. Social media was not big on the radar screen when you were involved. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, not really. Not really. I mean, it wasn't like it is today where agents are able now to to go live all the time every day and, and to build their brand online instead of the traditional methods. So, Do you think that there's an actual reason why billboards or radio would be any less effective than they would have been in the past? I mean, what do you, why do you think that the ROI might, may have changed? Well, the things with, with, with those methods is, number one, they're very hard to track, right? Unless you're asking everybody that calls or emails in, what prompted you to email us? And then they give you, for real estate agents, they could give you a vague answer. Oh, I see you everywhere. Or I don't know. Or I went to your website. I mean, you know what I mean? So there's certainly agents that I know, both in the town that I had my business in, which is in Maryland, the town that I live in now, which is in South Carolina, that are building their businesses on branding through traditional means. It's kind of like advertising to a broad spectrum of people, to everybody, whether they're looking to buy a house or not, buy or sell a house or not, where if you go Facebook or any of these social media platforms now, you can you can use predictive analytics that are provided by Facebook and Instagram and that sort of thing uh, to try to determine who's most likely to move or maybe just your sphere of influence or just people in a certain zip code. You can pinpoint it a lot more, and I think it's a lot less expensive. Got it. So it's not that those other things don't work. It's just that there's more precision available through more modern means. That makes sense. So you have done the podcast. You've done, what, 500 plus episodes by now? Yep. Going close to 700 almost. Wow. 700 episodes. So in that time, what sticks out for you as being the recurring themes that come up over and over again that you associate with success that by 700 episodes, I mean, it's got to just be undeniable. What are the key things that stick out for you? You know, I mean, they're going to be cliches, but I'll say them nonetheless, you know, and it's going to be like, you need to hustle, right? You have to, you, you got to get out there and put the time in. Nothing great comes without money. I mean, nothing comes without sacrifice. Nothing great comes without sacrifice. Speed to lead for real estate agents. We're in a speed to lead society, which means when the lead calls in, you should be right there on it within seconds, not even minutes anymore. A day later is like idiotic. And, uh, you know, watching your profit, just like any business, you know, real estate agents are guilty as of this as anybody is, is chasing a lot of squirrels looking at, oh, there's a squirrel there. Let me get that. Let me invest in that. Let me do that. And then at the end of the day, they look down and they're not making any profit. And there's a lot of these teams and teameridges, as I call them, that uh, don't really pull in a, a respectable profit, if any, at all. So it's, it's, they're letting their ego uh, get in the way, and they're and they're of the belief that someday they're going to be able to sell their team. So, what is the minimum threshold that a real estate business must meet in order for it to be considered an actual business, as opposed to basically just owning a job? Uh, have you seen organizations that have crossed that threshold? Yeah, I mean, there there have been teams that sold. They generally sell it. You know, the last couple that have sold uh, have sold at two and a half x or two and a half EBITDA. So it is possible, but you know, here's the thing. You don't have many buyers. Most real estate agents, let's say you have a real estate team that makes $400,000 profit, which is, you know, a lot of profit, right? At the end of the day, 
a two and a half EBITDA, that's a million dollars. So, you know, a lot of real estate agents don't got a million bucks. The banks don't really want to loan a million dollars to someone on a real estate business because markets fluctuate. So it's a little difficult. Not to say it can't be done because it is happening. To answer your question, the key factor is, you know, whether the rainmaker, whether the person that's branded themselves is actually in the day-to-day business. If you have a $200,000 a year person that you're paying to run it and you're still making 400, then that's a that's a real business. But if you're making 400 and, you know, you're in there all day long, right? And you're going on appointments, that doesn't count. You know what I mean? You have to you it has to be a business that runs on its own without you. Totally. I get it. So I'm curious to get your take on property management in general. The blessing curse of property management is recurring revenue, right? It's a blessing because recurring revenue is it's money in your pocket, money when you're sleeping. But the downside is it can also breed a lot of complacency in many ways. That's why the industry is known as being a little bit backwards and why it lacks sales focus is the complacency that just comes from recurring revenue. We could grow or we could not. We can just go sideways. How do you think about the opportunity of on the property management side of the business as opposed to the traditional brokerage side? I think it's a I think it's a good hedge and I think real estate agents should think about this because you know markets do ebb and flow and they will ebb and flow in the very near future I believe so you know property having a property management division is a great way to protect yourself against that right to have something else that's paying you money right because people are still going to need to rent even when the if people stop buying guess what they end up doing they continue to rent I don't think you're going to see a, I don't want to say ever, right? Because that market fluctuates as well. But right now, you know, we're in a renter nation where more and more people are renting. Less and less millennials are buying homes. More and more people are seeing uh, renting as a legitimate option for their, for their life. And that's why you see so many cranes building apartment buildings. They're not stupid, right? I mean, there's a reason for this. So if you could build a property management business and the transactions slow down, which they will, as far as real estate commissions, it's going to pay you in those months that that you might not have a settlement or your settlements are less income than your expenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and vice versa. If you're running a property management business and you're ignoring the, the brokerage side, for example, some property managers, their whole shtick is, hey, we're pure property management. We don't mess with the brokerage side. Therefore, it's easier for us to get referrals. At the same time, there's just so much natural synergy between the two. It doesn't really make sense to ignore one or the other. So stream of consciousness here, a couple of things I want to get your thought on. One, EXP Realty. What do you think is the future of that organization? There's a lot of noise and buzz kind of happening around that. What's your take and perspective on EXP? Okay, so Jason uh, Guessing came on my show. I haven't released it yet. Um, And the owner... Glenn, I think his name has came on as well a, a couple years ago. And I've had some agents that uh, have been staunchly against it. So I've kind of seen both sides. I haven't really, I haven't formed an opinion one way or the other. I do believe that bricks and mortar, real estate offices, law firms, everybody, right, are, are, will dissipate, right? You're going to see less and less of that because a lawyer can work out of their garage. I'm in my garage right now. Right, I don't know where you are, but you're 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 somewhere with no pictures on the wall, right? Um, so you're seeing more and more of that, and I think you're going to naturally see it in real estate. You know, whenever there's a lot of buzz, 
you have to take a step back and say, well, Buzz is emotional. You know what I mean? Is there, how legitimate is it? How strong of a company is it? How will it last? I mean, I think that there will be companies like that, that um, do well in the real estate brokerage business. I don't know if it's going to be EXP themselves or not. They're certainly the first one there, which, which helps a lot. But they're going to have challenges just like any growing business. And, and I, I, I haven't seen under the hood, right? So I really can't speak to, you know, how much money. I've heard some people that have written some blogs and articles that have said they don't have much money, so to speak, to invest in tech and things like that. So I don't really know. I mean, it's, inter- it's certainly interesting to watch. I mean, I, I'm on social media a lot with my course. Uh, my courses on Rebus University it forces me to be on social media a lot. And I see a lot of people promoting it because it's a way for them to build yeah. their downlines. I know right. that there's a lot of people that have, that, that have joined and have told me, hey, listen, I missed out on Keller Williams and I'm not going to miss out again. So they're kind of rushing in there trying to build uh, downlines because they see some a lot of Keller Williams guys now, you know, flying jets and, and buying $10 million places and to live in and stuff like that. And they say, I want to be that. And, that, and that's cool, right? That's the American way, right? Uh, everybody wants to win the lottery if, if they have an opportunity. So I think you have a lot of people flocking to that. Of course, at any of these, you know, deals, whenever you have a, a multi-level thing, there's always a hundred people or so or, or, or less that kill it. And then the majority of the agents don't really benefit in profit sharing. They don't recruit, you know, they think they're going to be like Pied Piper where they're blowing a flute and like all these people and animals are following them to go over to whatever company they join. And the reality of it, because I've been there myself, you know, I've been at five different real estate companies over time. So I can speak firsthand you know, the reality of it is people don't follow you. They're scared. I mean, some people might, you know, people just won't follow you for the most part. You know, you don't end up with much profit share, if any, uh, because you're too busy selling houses. And, and then there's the question of, does it, is it the economic model good? You know, I forget what it is. I think it's 80, 20, and then 10% goes back to the company and 10% goes back to the people that recruited you and it form of a downline. So, so yeah, I mean, 80, 20 is not, not bad at all for, for agents out there. Uh, is it enough for the company to keep running and do well? I don't know. If not, they'll just change their fees and start charging transaction fees, or maybe they already do. I don't know. Fair enough. All right. So what I'm hearing is agnosticism about the company itself, haven't looked under the hood, but some category optimism of the digital brokerage, the cloud brokerage, lowering the overhead, a little bit of lack of clarity about the whole MLM model, which honestly is what's driving a lot of the buzz that's happening right now. But the bigger conversation that's related to is what is the fundamental value that a consumer, i.e. an agent, should expect of a brokerage? Now, there's an interesting intersection with what you do with Rebus because a lot of what a brokerage is supposed to do is training. So how should you get that training? Should you get it from going through an organization like Rebus or should that be the responsibility of Keller Williams or EXP or Remax or whoever? So when you think about the fundamental expectations that the agent should have towards the brokerage, how would you advise someone? Well, generally what happens is the brokerage provides education that's, that's good for beginners. So like I have, I have students, I have EXP students, I have 
REMAX students, I have Keller Williams students, Prudential, I, you know, pretty much the gamut we have taking our courses, right? And Keller is, is known for doing more education than uh, pretty much all the other brokerages. That's essentially what they built totally. themselves around. They're an education company disguised as a real estate company is what Gary has always said for years. Um, and uh, they offer per, a, a lot, right, for the agents. Um, but I still have agents that, at Keller Williams that are very aggressive and want uh, their team and their agents to have even more uh, deep down, like real deal stuff. And that's kind of where our niche is, is we provide like uh, we did a program called the certified listing agent where we had eight agents from around the world do their listing appointments in camera in front of a camera. And then we analyzed each one. So we made a course that's like 12 hours of video with 50 some quizzes in it. Uh, so that if you run an agent through there, they should win every listing appointment they ever go on because it immersed them so well in the, in the how to win a listing process. Now, there's no courses like that, right, for the most part that I know of. And so that's where we differ. But I think to some it's the agent. Like, I mean, so here's a story. So decades ago, this is how Remax came on the scene. They basically said, hey, we're, we're 100% split. You know, the agent is just there to, you know, sell houses. And it was a great deal, right? It was a great value proposition, right? But only for agents that were selling three or four houses a month. Like when I went to Remax, I was at a company Long and Foster and I went to Remax. They actually had a rule, right? You had to sell three houses a month uh, for like 12 months in a row before they would even hire you because you wouldn't be able to afford it. But once you afforded it, it was great because you got all your own property calls, which at these traditional companies you didn't get. But then over time, agents started demanding more and expecting more, and then they became more of a traditional model. That's kind of where they lost a little bit of their mojo, right? It's because they, they, it wasn't as unique anymore because people wanted, agents wanted more. And so now you can get a 60-40 or a 50-50 or whatever, and, and they'll teach you stuff. So so it's an interesting world. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think there's always going to be agents that just give me the bottom line, right? I don't need the education. Just give me the bottom line. I, you know, most of real estate, really a lot of real estate, you learn from getting your head kicked in, right? You just take a buyer out and you lose it. You know, someone else wins a listing, you get your butt beat on the listing appointment, and then you figure out, you know, you try to learn how not to let that happen again. I don't think it's for everybody, right? I don't think that model's for everybody, just like Remax was never for everybody in the beginning. It was only for people that didn't care about all the other crap. You know, most of the companies, though, do provide education, but most of the education is elementary, let's just say. Got it. So going back to the question I asked you at the outset related to building a media empire, what do you think about the opportunities that have opened up as a result of you having the footprint and the digital voice that you have? I know for me, having a podcast doing webinars, all that stuff, there's a certain level of serendipity that is just kind of comes from relationships and networking, etc. Do you view Rebus as being kind of a logical extension of what's going to be your primary focus over the next couple of years? Like what's the 
What's the future and the trajectory of how you plan on using the platform that you have that you can see in the near term? So, you know, I'm learning a lot, put it that way. I mean, it hasn't, it's been easy to do it, right? It's easy for me to talk to people. I'm a natural talker, right? I can talk to somebody all day that I just met, but providing they're engaging and, and they're interesting, but that's easy. What's what's hard about this business is is actually turning a profit on a consistent profit on what you're selling through the business. So it's going to be my focus. You know, I've determined that and uh, that's really what I'm focusing on now. And uh, you're right. There's a lot of serendipity. I mean, tomorrow night I fly to Tampa to meet with two guys who run um, two different type of uh, companies. One is a company that sells online classes to accountants and the other is a company that that helps a real estate agents with, uh, you know, online leads. And I met them through doing the podcasts and things like that, just like I'm meeting you now today, right? So so one thing does lead to another, right? And we're going to mastermind the three of us all day on, on Thursday uh, about how we can grow our businesses together. But it is something that gets better and better and better, but it's sort of like real estate sales in the same way or probably opening a property management business, right? Your first couple of years, you're just getting started. You know what I mean? It takes a long time. It's like for Gary Vanderchuk, it was it was uh, slowly, 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 suddenly, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, overnight success. Yeah. Final question of the interview, Pat, if you could wind the clock back to 10 years ago today, what is the one piece of advice that you would have grabbed yourself by the shoulders and done everything within your power to get your previous self to fully buy into? If it were 20 years ago today, I would probably say, you know, buy two houses a year and build your personal portfolio. 10 years ago today put you at like 2008, which would have been a terrible time to start buying, but, but you, they, you would have dollar cost averaged uh, into this. So it still would be a good piece of advice, actually, because you would have probably had uh, the last 10 years, you'd have seven or eight that were, you know, you did well in buying two houses a year. So I think it would be that. It would just, just buy a house here, buy a house there. Dollar cost average houses like you dollar cost average a retirement account. If you just think like that. Uh, It's a great way to build your wealth slowly but surely. Love it. Build wealth over time slowly. Pat, it's been a pleasure to have you on. If folks want to find out more about what you're up to in your organization, what's the best place for them to go? You can learn all about me at pathyben.com. Of course, on social media, my Instagram is I am Pat Hyben. And uh, on Facebook, everywhere else, just type in my name. I'm easy to find. Twitter, I'm at Pat Hyben. So I'm all over the place. Very easy to find. Little pro tip there, guys. That's what you want to be able to say. (laughs) (laughs) Just type in my name. Real Estate Rockstars, it's a great show. Um, A lot of big picture thinking being applied to one vertical, which is what I'm trying to do here. Pat, thanks again for carving out some time. It's great having you on the show. Stay in touch. Fun. Let's stay in touch. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show, and the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.